you, Lord. Somebody said, Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13. says this in the New American Standard, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For this reason, all right, for this reason, because his blood is better And it doesn't just cleanse the outside of your flesh, but it cleanses the internal spirit of inside of you, your soul. He says, that's how much more better the the blood of Jesus is. For this reason, verse 15, he is the mediator of a new covenant. Turn to your neighbor and say, new covenant. He is the mediator of a new covenant so that since a death has taken place through the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant... Those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must a necessity be the death of the one who made it. All right, that's pretty deep. We're going to get into this today, and we're just going to tell you the story, really your story of redemption. And uh, I don't know about you, but have you ever struggled to stop doing something? Okay, very good. We're all human. Uh, maybe you tried to get victory in some area of your life, but you couldn't break free from it. For instance, maybe it was hard, to, and it is hard, probably for all of us, myself included, to stop overeating. Or maybe it was stop smoking, or stop drinking, or stop cussing, or uh, maybe it was to get rid of that anger, or that unforgiveness. Or maybe it's just worry. Maybe you, have, you just tried to stop worrying all the time, feeling anxious all the time, thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow, how are you going to get through and, and you, you're trying to get through these things, but it's hard because there's a problem up here. You know, the Bible says that we are all helpless or powerless over our sin, that we're held captive to it, that there's nothing you and I can do about it. And no doubt, probably you and I, even as Christians, have struggled to live in the freedom that you read in Scripture. Because when you read it in Scripture, it's like it's black and white. And you're like, God, but how come that's not real in my life? How come I can't get victory in this area or that area? God, how come I've struggled with this or that? And uh, I know sometimes in that moment, and I've been there in my life, where you feel like, well, maybe I'm just not doing it right. Or maybe I'm a failure and this is just way too hard and, and this doesn't really work. They've said all this stuff, but then it's all on me now. And I'm trying to get better, but I can't, and I've tried and tried and tried. I've gone to church, I've paid my tithes, I've memorized a bunch of scripture, but man, I'm still struggling. And, and maybe you've fallen back time and again. Maybe you fell away, and you went with God, then you went back out, off of, out of God, and you're just feeling like, man, in your life, how do you find the victory over sin? Anybody with me this morning? Okay. You know, there's even monks that if you read church history, that, and maybe they still do it today, would just take whips and just beat themselves because they couldn't stop sinning in their mind. They would just beat themselves, leaving stripes. And maybe today you have been beating yourself up with how to get better in Jesus, how to get true victory. And that's really what we're going to talk about today because I do not want you to beat yourself up today because I don't want you to feel like God doesn't love you or maybe you're not good enough or the religious side of this is not working out for you. Really, we're just going to talk about today that Jesus' sacrificial death does provide you the power of the presence of God 
to be victorious over sin, okay? And so we're going to talk about this as the new covenant. The sacrificial death of Jesus Christ does give you the power of the presence of God through the new covenant. What is a covenant? Okay, a covenant, follow me this morning, we're going to talk about the old covenant, the promise, and the new covenant, okay? And how does that give you a new life? What is a covenant? A covenant is a binding pledge between two or more people. It's more than a promise, okay? And you can look at uh, ancient times that a covenant would be this, it's like a guarantee of life. So uh, if you even look back in ancient times, covenants often were involved with the shedding of blood because that life was symbolic. It was a, in a sense, a lifelong bond between two people. You know, if Pastor John and I would make a covenant together, it would be like uh, maybe you did this when you were little, like blood brothers. Anybody remember that? I, don't, I hope maybe no, you're not doing that now or kids are not doing that anymore. But, but you know, there would be that bond, right? Lifelong, we're best friends to the very end, right? Uh, and sometimes, even in the ancient world, this life bond, this symbolic of life, it was lasting till death, okay? This covenant was even cut uh, between two people. And what I mean by cut was that they would take an animal, literally cut it, and kill it, sacrifice it, and then these two people would walk between this animal together, and instead of me or you dying, that animal's blood was symbolic of the life that was given, that this is a lifelong bond between me and you. We walk through this sacrifice together. The death was paid for that, that life, and the blood was shed, symbolic of life, and we have a lifelong bond, okay? That's a covenant, all right? It's a lifelong bond. Um, so it's a Cut in half. That's what they say. A cut a covenant. It's almost like a last will and testament too. And in this chapter we just read, the author of Hebrews parallels that. And think of that when you write a last will, it's like your covenant after death that it it was entered into at death. Right? Your family got all your goods because I know you might leave your past or something. You just put me in there, you know, in the middle of that. Right? But it's that ends in death. Right? It's a covenant. It's a binding pledge that it was sealed with your death. And they've got to do what it says, right? Unless you have rebellious kids, and they may not, you never know. Uh, but this lifelong covenant, even think of marriage today. What do we say in marriage? Till death do us part. Marriage is a covenant, all right? It's a lifelong pledge. And anything, then in a sense, take it this way, anything that separates a marriage before death is considered sin, right? And so sin is the thing that breaks that marriage covenant. And when sin enters in, so does death. And you think of it this way. That's a covenant. But at the very beginning of time, our time, Adam and Eve had a covenant with God, specifically Adam. And Adam had this covenant with God that said, Adam, you do everything you want to do. Be a good steward of this world. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be like a son to me. We're going to walk this world together. And he said, but just don't eat of this one tree. Now, we know the story. Adam and Eve eat of that tree. In that moment, the covenant, the promise of eternal life with God was broken. And because it was not, it, it ended, that covenant was broken, we failed on our part of the covenant. We were equal in that part, but we fell on our part. Death then prematurely entered, okay? You following with me? That death entered into, and that covenant was broken because it was supposed to be this bond that was unbreakable. We broke it. Therefore, death came upon us because that was the consequence. And so now, not only would we die a physical death, but there would be an eternal death because we couldn't be near God's holiness. So God makes a sacrifice. Okay, follow with me today. It's going to be a little deep. I want you to put your spiritual ears on because this is going to make a lot more sense when we get to the end. 
God makes the first sacrifice and God sheds the blood. God takes an animal, he kills it, he sheds the blood, he puts a covering. Look at your neighbor and say covering. Okay, because that's going to be important here in a little bit. Puts a covering on Adam and Eve. But that death was symbolic of the death of Adam. Okay? And so that blood was shed for the life that Adam should have had to give up because death was knocking on his door and death was due Adam because he broke the covenant in advance. Okay? So life had to be poured out for life. Death had to come. And so God made the first sacrifice, sent him out of his holy presence because he broke the covenant. So God, though, in his awesomeness, has this redemptive plan from the foundation of the world. And now, though, there is this law that has been broken, that we can't enter into holy fellowship with God anymore. And there's this blood that has to be continually poured out. And so God, through Moses, he chose as a mediator. Moses is this mediator, this intercessor. And God picks this nation, the children of Israel, to be this uh, vessel of salvation to the world, a light to the rest of the world. That they would illustrate who God was, what heaven was like, and how God so loved the world, He's going to redeem it and bring us back. So in order to do that, God instituted a sacrificial system that this blood had to continually be poured out. There had to be continual offering because we were continually breaking the covenant. Every day, you and I would continue to break the covenant. We would disagree with what God's word said. God told Adam, don't do this. We did it. Every day, God would say, love your neighbor as yourself. We would break it. Every day, God would say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Every day, we would fail. So every day, there had to be a continual sacrifice of blood for you and for I because the covenant every day was being broken. By millions of people around the world, every day, all night long, the covenant continued and continued and continued to be broken. And so God, through Moses and through Israel, says, okay, I'm going to give you something, something to guide you, a law. It's going to tell you where my level of holiness is, so maybe you can get a gauge and stop breaking it so much. And he says, if you would just do all of these things, you would be my holy people. You'd be my kingdom. You would be where you should have been. There's over 600 and something odd rules. No way could any man ever fulfill all of them because there was a heart issue, because sin and death had reigned in our bodies, okay? And so this covenant became a covenant of works. Why? It was work to keep the blood on the altar. It was always work. Every day, all day, we had to work to keep blood poured out because we would then incur the wrath of God. If we were, the God was holding off His judgment just for a while while the blood was being poured out. And He's saying, okay, I'm giving you time until I can fix this. And they had to keep working and keep working. And they would make continual sacrifices. And God gave them the tabernacle, this illustration of heaven on earth where this tabernacle, this tent of dwelling, And in this tent of dwelling, we've talked about it recently, but there would be a brazen altar outside of it. And there on that brazen altar, that brass altar, they'd continue to pour out this blood, continually pacifying the judgment due to us because of the broken covenant. And it was work. I'm telling you, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of perfection required. Everything had to be made perfect because heaven was perfect. The blood had to be perfect because that's what heaven demanded, perfection. The religious system had to be perfect. And it was work, and it was work, And it was more work. And in the middle of the tabernacle, 
was this thing called the Ark of the what? Covenant. That's what we're talking about this morning. Covenant. The agreement. And in that Ark was the broken law that we, we broke every day, all day. And on that top of that Ark was the mercy seat, symbolic of the throne of God. And every day, all, all year long, they had to pour out blood and pour out blood. And every year they had to anoint that blood on that Ark of the Covenant. Why? Because the blood had to be shed continually for the law, the covenant that we broke. So the Ark of the Covenant had to have blood on it. It had to be that sacrifice of blood before the broken covenant. Covenants always required blood. Covenants required a lifelong bond. And when we broke that bond, death entered in. And so that blood would pacify that death for a moment. Okay, are you with me this morning? Okay, this is the context of your and my salvation. The covenant was continually covered in blood through this work. But yet Israel continued to fail to live up to it. Why? Man was imperfect. We could never live up to an agreement with God even under the blood. That's important for you to note. Even under the blood, they couldn't be perfect. Even under the blood, they couldn't be perfect. God, and so the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8, that God found fault with it. Chapter 10, verse 6, he says he had no pleasure in all the sacrifices. Why? Because in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 3, it was impossible for the blood of animals to truly take away. It was just pacifying. More blood was poured out. We still broke it. More blood was poured out. We still broke it. You know what? Maybe today you feel powerless the same way. Maybe today you feel like you can't help yourself. You're trying to get over that thought life, that, maybe that lust in your life. Maybe it's that pride. Maybe it's that fear. Maybe it's that anxiety. Maybe it's that worry. Because there's this work, and Christianity to you today maybe feels like a lot of work. God, I'm trying. God, if you just be patient with me, I'm trying. I'm trying to do better, God. I'm trying to live better. Anybody ever felt that way before? God, just, I'm trying, okay? That's all I can do. I'm just trying to get through today. Just, Lord, give me patience today. God, I failed because I really yelled at my boss or my coworkers. I really shouldn't have said what I said. God, just be patient with me today. God, be patient with me with my husband or my, my wife. I really kind of got off on them a little bit. I, I said some things I shouldn't have said. And every day it's like, man, can I not just be a good Christian one day? Anybody ever felt like that before? Just, can I just get a break and be a good Christian just for a day? And just, can I not sin one day and just make some major mistake? Maybe one week. All right? Well, maybe you feel that way today because that's how they felt every day. That's how they felt. They were living in the work of the covenant. It was work. But here's the good news. There's a promise for... Turn with me in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. And then put your finger in Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Okay, so here's the good news. Long before God ever gave this covenant with Moses that was a lot of work to keep blood on the altar and keep blood over the covenant to keep the covenant covered in blood, okay? God had told Abraham, this great man of faith, in Genesis chapter 12, that he was going to make a great nation out of him. God saw favor with Abraham because he had faith, chose him by the grace of God. There's nothing Abraham did to be chosen. It was just simply the grace of God chose him because he had faith. And God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation in, Hebrew, in Genesis chapter 12. And, man, it's gonna, your descendants are going to be numbered as the stars, and, and you're going to be blessed, and all the nations are going to be blessed through you, and I'm going to give you this land as an inheritance. You're going to have these great descendants. And so Abraham believes him, and Abraham, by faith, leaves his homeland and follows the Spirit of God to a new place. So it's by faith, following the Spirit of God. 
chosen by the grace of God because of his faith. That's very important. And then in Genesis chapter 15, God confirms this. He comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to do something through you. Do you really believe me? God tells Abraham, hey, Abraham, take the five holy sacrificial animals. This is all before Moses now. Take take these five sacrificial animals, which would become the five sacrificial animals of the temple and the tabernacle. And so instead, though, Abraham kills them and he cuts them, expecting to make a covenant with God. They would both, again, walk through that, those animals together and cut a covenant together. But instead, God had put Abraham in a sleep, and when he woke up, he sees God and a fire and a pillar of cloud or smoke walking. Fire, pillar of smoke. Remember this from the wilderness experience of Exodus? Pillar of cloud, fire, by Okay. God walks through these two animals together, these five animals, each in a row, split apart. God walks with them. God in that moment, did something never before done before. God cut a covenant with Himself. So, in a sense, God was saying, I promise to myself to make this so. doesn't depend on you, Abraham. doesn't depend on who you are, what you are, what you've done, where you're going to go. This is a promise between me and me. Because He's God, He's big enough to talk to Himself, right? Uh, between me and me. And so God made an unconditional covenant. The covenant with Moses was conditional. You do your part, be holy and walk as I say, and then you'll be able to pass through the wrath of God. But this covenant was unconditional, made with God between himself. And the Bible says in Genesis 15, verse 6, that Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited, imputed to him, given to him righteousness. Simply because Abraham believed God at his word by faith. It was by grace God chose him, And it was by faith that Abraham followed the Spirit of God, simply believing God said, I promise. I promise to bless you and give you an eternal inheritance, an eternal reward. God would test that faith. If you know the story, Abraham, later on, many years later, God says, give me that promise, which is now in the form of your son. He's your, you know, the line of descendants I've chosen for you. Let's go sacrifice him. Abraham believed God again, that either one, God would raise him up on that altar, or two, that God would provide a better sacrifice. And we know that God did provide a better sacrifice. And so all that, what is the point of all that? In Jeremiah chapter 31, God is held on to that moment. He held on to that covenant to teach us something today about you and I and Jesus Christ. And in Jeremiah chapter 31, it tells that there's a coming redemptive plan, a new covenant coming. Jeremiah 31, verse 31, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant, this is the Moses covenant, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and brought them out the land of Egypt, the covenant which they broke, they continually broke it. Okay? He says, But I was a husband that was blameless, declares the Lord. But in this covenant... I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Here it is. I'll put my law within them and on their heart. I'll write it. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. They'll not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, Hey, know the Lord, for they'll all know me. From the least to the greatest of them declares the Lord, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I'll remember no more. What is he saying? There's coming a covenant where each day it's not going to feel like work to be with me. There's coming a covenant 
where there's going to be no more continued sacrifices offered, no more work declared, no more powerlessness, that you have continually broke my covenant every day, and blood has to continually be poured out on that Ark of the Covenant, the symbolic of my covenant for you. Over that broken law, that blood must be always there. There's a day coming where we won't have to do all this anymore. And it was called the New Covenant. Now look with me in Hebrews chapter 8. This is kind of where we're talking about it this morning. So this new covenant, here's what, this is the amazingness of God, the masterful plan of God, the wonder and awe that is God. The problem was this. God desired to save you and I from sin and from death. Okay, follow me this morning. But a new covenant had to be made. It had to be one with better blood, because this, this goat blood really didn't, didn't do all it should have done, right? It wasn't the blood of Adam. It wasn't the blood of me and you. It wasn't a perfect human sacrifice that was sinless. He needed the better blood to undo what Adam had done. Adam's blood really was required. But Adam had fell, and Adam couldn't give his blood because Adam was a sinner, and neither could you because it never would have done anything either. He needed a new Adam, a new person, to give this sinless blood and pour it over this covenant. And he needed a better sacrifice. He needed a better a sacrifice, but he also needed a better guarantee. He needed a way that said you wouldn't break it anymore. Because let's just say God did get a better sacrifice, but if tomorrow you broke it again, then what? We start back over again. Ground zero. That's what they'd been doing for millennia, generations, starting over. You ever feel like your Christianity is like got to start over? You've tried, you tried, you tried. Well, I'm back at square one again. Man, I, I thought I was moving forward in God, but then, man, I'm, I, I just made a mistake. Start back over. I've got to start praying every day again. I've got to start reading my Bible again. I really need to get back into church again. Starting up, we start over all the time. He said, there's coming a day where I'm going to give you a better sacrifice and a better guarantee. Here's the problem. Your word and my word is worthless. You go to a loan, you try to get a loan on a bank or from the bank or in a car or a house. You got bad credit, they ain't going to give it to you. You and I, we've got bad credit in heaven. You ain't got no value to take into heaven. You've got nothing. You could try to get a loan out of heaven. They just laugh at you because you got nothing. They're like, well, every time God forgives you, you just go back out and sin again, right? I do, right? Every time you try, you, you don't always succeed 100%. That credit is zero in heaven's bank. And he says, so guess what? You and I need somebody to co-sign our loan. This covenant is a binding, eternal, life-altering agreement. And if you fail it, you die in eternal death. How many people want a co-signer, right? I do, because I don't want to go to that covenant on my, my credit. If I go to an eternal, lifelong covenant where if I fail this covenant, it ends in weeping and gnashing of teeth and eternal darkness separated from God for all of eternity, I need some co-signing. I need a creditor, okay? I need to take a loan out from somebody else. So God said you needed a better guarantee. You needed a cosigner, a mediator. And so like Abraham, knowing we're in this covenant of works, knowing that it's work and work and work to continue to put blood on top of the broken covenant. He said you need a cosigner. Just like Abraham, God said I'm going to send my son and I'm going to make a covenant with him. I'm not making a covenant with you. I'm going to make a covenant with him. And his son would then come and be this perfect sacrifice you needed. He'd be the blood you needed. He'd be the cosigner you needed. The Bible says he'd be the mediator, the cosigner, the interceder, the high priest. 
And He alone would be the one that could give you the promise of life again. Let me give you the conditions. So every covenant has conditions. But see, normally it would be between you and I. Uh, we make a covenant. Pastor John and I would be His conditions, my conditions. If you make a covenant with God, it's your conditions and His conditions. Well, see, God began to make a covenant with His own Son, Jesus Christ. And the agreement was this. Okay, Jesus, if you'll preach the good news to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, He says, then I'll be a father to you, and I'll give you the Spirit without measure, John 3.33. I'll raise you up from this death that you're going to experience into eternal glory. Philippians 2, I'm going to exalt you the name that's above every name. And God cut a covenant again with Himself. And He would literally do it with His Son's body. You see, the sacrifice would be the body of Jesus Christ, broken, slain, crucified for us. And in that that day, that moment, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7, it says that Jesus said to God, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. You see, when the law of working our salvation out could not save us, and our flesh was weak, God save us through cutting a new covenant with His Son's very own body. He died on a cross. He poured out His blood. Luke 22 says that His death was for the broken law, and He co-signed it for us. He mediated a new covenant that gave you and I back eternal life. And Hebrews 10.10 says that by this will or this covenant, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You know what that means? His perfect sacrifice always covers the broken covenant once and for all. Is that good news? That's good news. Good news. Really, really good news. Because what that means is that there was a problem. We didn't have the word to back it up. We needed a co-signer. Jesus comes and says, I'll make the co-signing for their behalf. I'm going to stand in the gap for them. I will take their credit. And when they can't take it from the bank and they can't cash out on that loan, God, I'm going to be their co-signer. I'll be a human just like them. Let me stand with them in their place. I'll sign it as a human. Okay, Father, I've come to your will. And God says, all right, son, I'm going to exalt you and give you the name of every name. Everybody will bow down. Confess, your Lord. Okay, let's do this. And so Jesus signed the new covenant in his own blood he signed it he he poured himself out he became cut broken abused abandoned slain before the foundation of the world the bible says it he decided i will co-sign this loan for them i will be the one god that you make the covenant with that means it's not yours anymore it's not your work of religion anymore it's not your efforts anymore it's him by grace you have been saved through faith, just like Abraham. See, Abraham had to believe that God's word was enough and that God bound himself to make this happen. And when Jesus signed it, God sealed it. You know those seals that you put on an envelope with ink, or I mean wax, and you put your emblem in it? The Bible says that God sealed this covenant with his Holy Spirit. One, when he raised him from the dead, that, that it was impossible 
for death to keep Christ and God sent His Holy Spirit and raised Christ up from the dead, sealing that He is the resurrection and the life now guaranteed for you and I. And the Bible even goes further to say, hey, now if, if you are with Christ, it's because the Holy Spirit that raised Christ up from the dead now dwells in you that you can be too signed, sealed, and delivered. That you too can have that signing of the covenant sealed by God and the Bible says that Christ became, just like Abraham had all these descendants that God promised, that Christ became the first fruits among many brethren. You know what that means? Is that he became the father of a family of faith. The first resurrected, meaning all who follow him in that new birth, that new family, the family that Abraham was promised, now is made a complete in Jesus Christ. That you and I are the family of faith now. Because if you have faith in the grace of God, and His Word is true. All of your works are done. Somebody say amen. amen. All of your labors are done. Your religious works are done. Your efforts at being holy are done. It's finished when Jesus said, I'm signing it. It's done, complete. All that failure you've been struggling with, all that worry, that grief, that regret, all the things you're doing to try to stay saved, to try to be better, to try to be more like God wants you to be. Jesus said, I'm your co-signer. And I think some of you are getting this today because this is really, really good news. When you aren't good enough, Jesus is. How about that? You get that today? That Jesus is all you need. You believe that today? He's all that you need. You can't do it. So he did. Okay? Do you understand today? Hear me today. So what happens? By grace you've been saved through faith, not yourself any longer. It's the gift of God, lest we boast. It's just like Abraham. Abraham believed what God cut a covenant with himself. Believed God to his word. It had nothing to do with who Abraham was or what he could do. God chose him in grace because of his faith that he would believe the Word of God. Do you believe Jesus Christ is enough today? That is the faith it takes to be saved. And you're only saved by the grace of God. So here's the problem. How do you get past this altar of sacrifice? Remember in this tabernacle, they had to go to the altar, make the sacrifice, pour out the blood, go into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place where only the high priest could go once a year, put the blood on this covenant right, at the place of mercy, where they're seeking mercy. And there they would have the Holy Spirit come down and it would fill that place just for that, that people for a limited time. I think it's like this sometimes in Christianity. We, we believe this Jesus died on the cross thing, and then we're like, okay, good, I got saved. I'll take it from here, God. Okay? And I think we do it even subconsciously. Some of us unconsciously in church, Right? You'll get that later if you re- listen online. I think our problem is the disconnect here today is saying, okay, God, I get this new covenant. All right, Jesus died. I'm saved. I can go to heaven now. But then you're like, okay, well, how do I walk out of the tabernacle? Because tomorrow, like the old people in the old covenant, they kept on sinning under the blood. And so they had to get more blood. And more blood. And more blood. The Bible says Jesus is a one-time offering. Once and for all, it's done. Blood's been poured out. So here's the problem. Under the old covenant, they didn't have the ability to live a sinless life. 
They could still never live up to the standard as much blood as they poured out. But 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4, Paul says it this way about this new covenant arrangement that we got with Jesus now, this new and better covenant that you have now. It says, I'm confident, we're confident in this, because our great trust is in God through Christ. It's not that we think we're qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He's enabled us to be ministers of this new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death. That's what we were due. But under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. I'm going to give you three things very quickly. Because I want some of you to be able to walk out of that tabernacle victorious. It's a, one thing to come to the altar, let Christ become the sacrifice of sin for you, that you re- then go to that place of God's dwelling, and you meet God at that old covenant, at that, at that broken law, and the blood is poured out. You say, yes, God, thank you, Jesus, I'm not going to hell today. But I want you to be walking out every single day under the blood and living sinless. How do you live a victorious life over sin? How do you get better? It's one thing to have your condition changed, but it's one thing to live changed. You understand me today? It's one thing to be saved. It's another thing to be sanctified. It's one thing to be declared holy. It's another thing to live holy. Okay? And so, number one, I tell you today, it's this. This is the key. You must leave your ability. You must Leave your ability. If you want to live a sinless life and grow in the holiness of God, it's this. Number one, you must leave your ability. That means confess your utter helplessness. We are helpless and hopeless, powerless over our sin, powerless to do the right thing, powerless to change our condition. It's powerlessness over sin. The law was given to show us how helpless and broken we are, how exceedingly sinful you are. That means today you have to give up the fight for control in your life. You have to give up trying to be better. This is going to sound backwards to many people. You have to stop trying to be holy. Follow me. You have to stop trying to be good enough on your own. If you think you can still do something to help God out, you're still living in the holy works of the old covenant. If you think you can help God out in any way to change your condition, you totally misunderstand the new covenant through Jesus Christ. We are powerless to do anything to help God out. And so my first work is to stop saying things like this, God, I'll try harder. God, I promise not to do it anymore. He's like, yeah, right. Right? Because I can't. The more, I mean, I have had conversations with God that said something like this. God, if you'll just do this, I'll stop this. Anybody ever done that agreement with God before? You know what I did? I broke it within the month, right? God, if you'll just give me this job or this thing, God, I'll stop smoking. Or God, if you'll just do this, you'll show me you really love me. And then I'll stop doing this, right? Come on. And we, we fail every time because the, the thing that we're supposed to be doing, and if you want to partner with Christ in this new covenant, it's this. You must die with Him not only to all your sin, but to all your efforts at living a holy life. Think of this. Romans chapter 6, verse 6 says it this way. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. For when we die with Christ, we're set free from the power of sin. I have to not choose to... It's kind of like this. 
It's not about choosing to quit. It's about choosing to be helpless, okay? I'm not trying to say, God, I'm going to help you. God, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do better. God, I'm going to try to stop this. God, I'm going to do that. I'm going to start doing these habits. I'm going to change the way I dress. I'm going to change the way I look. I'm going to stop going to the movies. God, I'm gonna, and those are all great things. Don't get me wrong. But it has nothing to do with making yourself holy or getting God to like you anymore or you getting sinless because those are all outward things. Only He can work on the inward things, okay? You can change, you can move to a desert island, put a Bible in your hand, cut down everything else and say, God, it's just me and you. You could still do that and still fail to live sinless under the blood every day, sinful under the blood every day. Because we experience the cross with Christ. I confess my sin. I, my first work is to say, God, I am utterly helpless to stop doing X, Y, and Z. Can't do it. I give up. Some of us need to stop trying and give up because that's when the second step happens. That is where we say we receive the Holy Spirit. Because he is the only one that can change me from the inside out. There's no amount of psychology in the world that's going to make you any better. Those are outward things. When you give up your old life, the Bible says you're born again. The life of the Spirit of God comes in you, and he says you have the power, Romans 6, 4, to walk in the newness of life. So if you want to defeat lust, if you want to defeat anger, if you want to stop being prideful, it has to come from this supernatural power from God and God alone. It's not going to come because you're trying harder. You can cry out to God, you can repent, and you can still never break through sin if you keep trying by your own strength. There's a better way through Jesus Christ to serve God today. Romans 8, 12 says it this way. If you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. You see that verse today? It is only by the Spirit that you can change yourself. It is only by the Spirit that you can be holy. It is only by the Spirit you can get lust and pride and anger and unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment. Only by the Spirit can you change the way you act, change the way you think, change the way you feel. It's not because you try harder. It's not because you get to do things and you put an agenda and a goal and a New Year's resolution. It's not because you go to counseling after counseling after counseling. It's only because you say, God, I give up. I need you. That's it. Very, very simple. Very, very simple. It says, God, by the Spirit, I'm going to put to deeds the death of my body, and I will find life. And those who are led by the Spirit of God, those are sons of God. Because remember, like Jeremiah, Ezekiel said, he's going to put a new heart in you. He's going to put a new spirit in you. He's going to take out the old stony heart of flesh. He's going to give you a new heart. He's going to put his spirit with you. And it says in verse 27, Ezekiel 36, and he will cause you to walk like he walks. He will cause you. It is a natural thing that I say, God, I give up trying. Lord, I'm seeking the Spirit alone. It's the Spirit alone, the Bible says, that produces love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And it was only the Spirit of God in Ezekiel 37 when Ezekiel saw dead and lifeless people like dry bones. It was only the Spirit of God that could give them life. And only the Spirit of God can change an alcoholic and make them into a mighty man or woman for God. An alcoholic can go to all the counseling in the world. They can put away alcohol. They'll always be an alcoholic until they get the Spirit of God. They'll always want to go back until they get the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God that actually changes a person and Him alone. Him alone 
God and God alone. It's not the efforts or it's not the religion of man. It is the Spirit of God that makes a person holy. And in the Spirit of God alone. And anyone who says otherwise is religious. Anyone who says otherwise is a self-made man or woman. Because it's God and God alone. It's the Spirit of God. And how do you partner? Because you think, well, Pastor Heath, what are you telling me? Just tell the sinners to stop trying and give up effort and just receive the Holy Spirit and think everything's going to be better? Partly, yes. Partly, yes. The third thing that you do, you say, well, aren't we supposed to help the Spirit out? Aren't we supposed to change the way? Yes. Here's how you do it. Number three is called walk by faith. It's leave your ability, receive the Holy Spirit, and believe. Abraham had to believe God's way was enough. God's covenant was enough. It said he received the word of God, believed by faith, and God said, you're righteous. That's it. That's it. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the simple, unadulterated truth of the word, that Jesus Christ is enough. The blood of Jesus is enough. But how you live your life today is simply walking by faith in these first two steps. I'm powerless. I can never be holy on my own. I receive the Holy Spirit who changes my mind, changes my heart, changes my mouth, changes my ears the way I hear the voice of the Lord. And now I walk by faith like Abraham to go to a place I've never known before. I've never been to Beulah land. I've never been to the the promised land of heaven before. But I believe God's word that he said he would take me there. And so every day I say, God, I see your spirit moving in front of me. I hear your voice calling me. And every day I'm just walking in the un filtered truth that I believe you that Jesus is enough. I've got the Holy Spirit. He's leading me every day and I'm going to heaven. That's faith. The same faith that raised Christ from the dead. The same faith you have to have healing or deliverance or sinlessness to walk walk it on your life is the same salvation faith. And Israel failed to understand this because they lacked faith. But Abraham believed God, followed his spirit. You see, you can't please God without faith, Hebrews eleven six 6 says. But he's a rewarder of those who what? Diligently seek him. Diligently seek him. You see, the problem is not trying to get rid of lust. The problem is seeking God. The problem is not trying to get off of alcohol. The problem is seeking God. It's saying, God, I can't do it. I'm going to seek you. I'm going to go to an altar. I'm going to find that place of prayer. I'm just going to get on my knees, and I'm just going to seek the presence of God. The world makes it complicated. Humanism comes into the church and says, well, you really need to have this or this or this. Now, trust me, I help lead Celebrate Recovery. It's a 12-step program. Every 12-step is all about Jesus Christ and how He's enough and you're not. It's not 12 steps to get you to heaven, but it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. If there's a life-controlling sin in us, That means there's some area of unbelief. It means I'm not trusting God to get to say, God, I'm I'm not, I can't handle this. God, I'm powerless to change this. I'm going to diligently seek you by faith. Your word said, God, you would give me power of the Holy Spirit. God, your word declared that I'd be living under the blood of Jesus, holy and acceptable and pleasing for you, that I could find the will of God for my life and I could live it out. If I just sacrifice myself, receive the Holy Spirit, say, God, I, I need you. I need you. So maybe today, maybe there's an area of your life you're not trusting the Holy Spirit to lead you through. Maybe there's some power you're still holding on to. Maybe it's some fleshly comfort or some area of control. Have you abandoned yourself to God today? Is Jesus enough? 
Maybe we've trusted too many religious rules to measure our church going, our attendance. Maybe too many works. Maybe it's the gifts. We can't trust any work of man to perfect us, but it's simply walking by faith in the Spirit of God and diligently seeking Him. That's how we, unlike Israel, live under the blood of Jesus, who is a one-time sacrifice, who is our co-signer, became that spotless lamb for us, and whose blood continually is applied upon that broken covenant. And here's the good news. Whenever you fail, and you will, whenever you mess up, just remember this. Jesus is your co-signer. He's going to credit your account. He's enough for you, but you have to simply believe He is. You say, God, I need your spirit then. God, I just need your spirit. That's all it is. I just need your spirit. God, change my mind. Change my heart. Change my mouth. God, I'm not trying to stop this. I'm just seeking the spirit. Because I can't stop. I'm powerless. I can't. My case is hopeless. That's why you have Jesus. It's good news today, church. That's when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. You've been trying to work your salvation for so long. You've been trying to do it all yourself. And Jesus is like, guys, I'm your co-signer. Let me do it. I've got the Spirit poured out for you. God sealed it in you, the Holy Spirit. Every head bowed, every eye closed today. Worship team, would you come? There was an old covenant. And death was due us. We broke it. And blood had to be continually poured out upon it. And Jesus Christ and the Father made an agreement and said, It's between us. It's no longer between them. We're taking it out of their hands. We guarantee that anybody who has faith, anybody who would believe, would receive the eternal promise through Jesus Christ. He'd be the new Adam. He'd be the new Abraham. And all you have to do is simply believe that God said Jesus is enough. The blood of Jesus is enough. And you say, God, okay, I give up my efforts. I give up my holy works. I give up trying. And I say, God, I just need the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to walk by faith. It's got to be too easy, Pastor. That sounds too simple. That's why it takes faith. You want to always do something. Well, I need to help him out. Nope. You just receive the Holy Spirit, walk by faith. God's enough. God's enough. In this place today, no doubt there are many lives. We have all could say there's some area of my life where I've been trying to help God out. I've been trying to solve this situation. I've been trying to stop this habit. I've been trying to stop these thoughts. I've been trying to fix my marriage. I've been trying to fix this circumstance. I've been trying to figure it all out. And God says, I'm enough. I'm enough. You've been worried of whether or not you're going to go to heaven or not. That's because you've been depending upon your own works to determine that. You've been struggling to go in and out of God. You've been with Him. Secretly, you've been falling away. You come to church. You try to do good for a few weeks, and you fall away again. That's because you're doing it yourself. You're not letting God do it in you. God is enough. God, through Jesus Christ, is enough. He cut that covenant with Himself. I promise to myself, anybody who believes that I'm good enough will make heaven. 
Anybody who gives up their life and follows Christ, who dies to their fleshly efforts, who hates their sin and chooses to seek after the Holy Spirit diligently, they'll be saved. Hallelujah, Lord God. Hallelujah, Lord God. Holy Spirit, come in this place. Reveal yourself, Lord. Reveal your truth. Reveal your truth today, God. Let it be the good news in every heart, every life. God, I know there are many Christians, wonderful people in this place today. Father, I pray you deliver us us from every ounce of religion.